good. Good to see you guys. Welcome to uh, First Congregation Church. My name is Mike Skinner. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. I've been at Disney, but I'm back, uh, and it's uh, good to be back. Uh, this is not Disney World, and for that, we rejoice. Um, we are doing a little blast from the past this morning. So in January and February of this past year, we did a sermon series called Finding God on Your iPod, um, where we would look at different songs and, and put them in conversation with the gospel um, and see how our contemporary poets and, and philosophers um, kind of are addressing these deep questions that, that all of us have uh, as we, we live this life uh, together. And so we, we did a Beatles song. We did U2. We did uh, Lord Imagine Dragons. Um, and then Chris came up to me with an idea. He said, hey, what if we played a song, and I gave you a song, and you tried to match up a sermon with it? I was like, great, Chris. What, what song are you going to do? And he first came out with Mama Said Knock You Out by LL Cool J. <laughs> <laughs> I said, first, I don't think I can pull a sermon off for that. Second, I don't think you can pull that off. <laughs> so he came back to me with a few more ideas. And so we're going to do another Finding God in Your iPod this morning. Again, um, kind of the premise behind this is that music is such a foundational aspect to our lives uh, as human beings. And often what you find is, is what we sing about and even how we, we play the music, how we, we listen to the notes and form the melodies expresses a lot of the deeper questions and longings and pains and experiences that we have as human beings. So today's song is a song called Words in the Water. It's by a band named Thrice. Um, they are an American rock band formed in 98. They're no longer together. They weren't a Christian band, um, but a lot of their members were Christian. Their lead singer was a man named Dustin. He's now a worship pastor um, at a church. And so this song was from their very last album. It's called Words in the Water, uh, and it will be performed by our very own uh, worship band. So enjoy the song, and we will catch up on it in a minute. All right, so it's a song about a, uh, it's a narrative. It tells a story about a man in, in a river and water. Here we go again. Our version was better, now you know. <laughs> he's in, in a river, he's in water, and, and there's this um, kind of narrative that's being told us. He engages, encounters this text, this book in the river, and it leads him to this, this crisis, this climax that's finally resolved <coughs> in the song by a savior. Um, it's a song about Christians' engagement with scriptures in kind of this stormy, chaos, sea of life that we find ourselves in. Um, I think it's a song that is... Uh, timely and, and a song that addresses these questions, particularly that the Christians should be wrestling with and that we need to be wrestling with. Um, the Bible, in fact, will speak a lot about the need for um, you and I to, to focus on the scriptures that have been given to us, um, that we would be able to survive kind of the stormy seas uh, of the life around us. You, you see the kind of um, staircase parallelism in the, in the song. So he's wading waist deep in the water, and then he's neck deep in the water, and then he's being pulled out to the sea, and he, he sees this book, and he starts to, to read it and engage with it. Um, he's feeding on the phrases, he says, and there's kind of this bittersweetness to it. It's honey on his lips, but then the, a bitter twist in his side, and, and it keeps leading him back to this crisis. I find myself in a grave, and who's going to save me? And then at the end, a savior appears and is able to take the book um, from his hand. Um, again, as, as Christians, I think this book resonates with so much of, of what we're called to, to do um, and, and called to practice in our Christian's lot, in our, our Christian life in regards to the scriptures, in regards to the, the book, the text that the Lord has given us um, and has revealed to us. And I think if we were being honest and if we were going to take an honest uh, look, assessment at our, our kind of subculture around us, we would say that, that perhaps we're, we're not doing the best that we can. Uh, with engaging the scriptures, with engaging uh, the Bible. Biblical literacy, I don't think, is, is very high uh, around us.
this. And so um, what I want to do this morning is, is look at some of the things the scriptures have to say about why there's this book um, waiting in the river for us to find it and how we are supposed to engage it and how we should engage it. Um, so if you have your Bibles, flip with me to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19 is where we'll start a poem um, that's going to express some of these thoughts that you find here in this song about the value and purpose and power of the, the scriptures that have been given to us. These words that we find in the water. We'll pick it up in verse 7. So Psalm 19, verse 7, if you'll read along with me. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. So the psalmist is talking about the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments um, that God has given his people. Um, this word law, Torah in the Hebrew, um, maybe it's better translated as instructions. It's revelation. It's God's speech to us. For the Jewish people, this was the Old Testament. For you and I, it's the Old and New Testament. God has revealed himself to us in text. And what this poem is celebrating is, is kind of the gift that that is, that we have this self-revelation in the form of a book, in the form of these words. You have six parallel lines here, and they all follow the same structure. So you've got a synonym for law um, of the Lord, and then it's equated to something, and then you've got a result. So the law is perfect. What does it do? It revives our souls. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart and enlightens the eyes. The psalmist is thinking of as many ways as he can to communicate to you how, how precious and valuable the scriptures are. He says they're, they're more to be desired than honey and, and, and money, than pleasure and than wealth. Um, he, he says they're, they're the most valuable thing, this, this revelation we have from God um, that, that we could possibly have. Now, the ancient Jews, um, when they were teaching young boys the Torah, would actually, uh, at the start of each lesson, would put honey on their lips. as like this object lesson, uh, this kind of physical reminder, right, of how sweet it's supposed to be, of how much they're supposed to desire and want um, to receive the revelation, the instructions that the Lord has for them. Um, I think maybe this is one of the first places where we get off when it comes to dealing with the scriptures as Christians. I think sometimes if you're anything like me, you don't always value them as much as you should. You, you take for granted the fact that we have a revelation from God, um, that we have his speech to us, his instructions to us. Um, I wonder if you were faced with the options of um, keeping your Bible or getting a thousand bucks or getting whatever kind of pleasure entices you. If you, like the psalmist would say, more than honey and more than, than money, I want this, I need this revelation. For the psalmist, it's, it's valuable because it gives life. It revives the soul, it makes wise the simple. This is what you see throughout the scriptures. God comes to his people and reveals himself, gives us this text so that we might find our pathway to life. We might find joy, we might know who he is. Um, the scriptures, as, as you read them, you'll, you'll see that they're not all commands and they're not all promises there's stories and, and all kinds of different kinds of text in there but overall they come together to form this revelation to us god communicating to us who he is what he's doing in the world who we are what we're supposed to be doing in the world it opens up this path to life and the psalmist here recognizes that and says there's nothing more valuable than that 
then you and I as Christians, we need to recognize and celebrate. And we need to, to pause every now and then and, and think about the fact that we have a revelation from God, that he's chosen to communicate to us, and, and we have this valuable, valuable object in our possession. Even as uh, English speakers, I think sometimes we take for granted the fact that we can read our Bible. Um, lots of people actually died for this to be in English. Um, because there's a lot of power when just one or two or a few people are able to read the Bible and tell the common people what's in it. Um, so if I was the only one who could read the Bible, that would work out really well for me, right? Guess what? God said, you need to pay me $50 every time you come to church. <laughs> you don't know better. You can't read the Bible, right? Um, there's this subversive underground movement. People gave their lives. There's um, a whole lot of striving that you and I would have access to to this um, revelation from God and, and sometimes it just sits there on the shelf and we don't value it we don't see there see it for for all that it's worth um, and I think this is the first big step for us to see its power to see its value if you have your Bibles flip also to second Timothy um, which is going to be uh, toward the back of your Bible page 996 if you're on the black hardbacks um, under the seat second Timothy we get another passage about the scriptures about the revelation from God that we've been given <coughs> another important formative one for us Paul's writing to Timothy, who's a pastor, and he says this about the Bible. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Notice all the things being said about scripture here. The scriptures, the, the writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. All scripture, he says, is breathed out by God. It's inspired, it's spirit-filled, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God, or woman of God, may be competent, equipped for every good work. Um, notice, again, the value of Scripture. It's able to make you wise for salvation. It's able to lead you to faith in Christ. And then its purpose. Um, it was given so that you may experience life to the fullest, so that you may be equipped to do these good works that God has set out for you in advance. There's a sense, I think, where we need to read 2 Timothy 3 and realize that if we're not receiving this revelation from God and engaging with the scriptures, that, that we're not equipped. We're not as ready to receive and not as ready to um, participate and, and experience these good works that God has for us. Um, scripture is given to us to reveal this path of life that God has for us. Um, and then notice what he, he tells Timothy here. He says, continue in it. Continue in what you've received. Continue in being acquainted with these sacred writings. Um, go on and on and on with it. This is a theme you find throughout the scriptures. In Joshua 1.8 and Psalm 1.2, um, it says, I meditate on your law day and night. Over and over and over again. I come back to it. I come back to it. I come back to it. Um, you and I as Christians have been, I think, tasked with the responsibility of not only recognizing the value and purpose of Scripture, but also interacting with it regularly. As Christians, one of our, our disciplines, one of the things that make us who we are, one of the things that are going to equip us to experience the life that we're supposed to experience is interacting with the Scriptures regularly. And if we were to take a moment of honesty, okay, and we just pulled the room, um, I would wonder how you feel about your track record with the Bible, with the scriptures. Um, I mean, again, first, like, what do you think of when you think of the Bible? Do you think of something that's so valuable and precious and you can't <coughs> wait to get a hold of and can't wait to spend time in? Or again, is it this confusing, weird, 
um, book that kind of builds dust up on your shelf. And then um, when, when was the last time you read your Bible? When was the last time you, you interacted with the scriptures? How do you interact with the scriptures? What's your game plan for interacting with them? If we were to go around the room, would you be kind of proud of your record? Would you be proud of, of kind of the, the track and legacy, the, the history that you have behind you? Um, there's the metaphor used in the song. He says, I feed on the phrases. Um, and I think this is a good metaphor for reading the scriptures, eating the scriptures, eating a book. Um, and that's actually an allusion from two passages, Ezekiel 3 and Revelation 10. Um, lots of biblical allusions throughout the song uh, where a prophet is given a scroll and told to eat it. And then I think this is a good kind of metaphor for understanding how Christians are supposed to interact with the Bible. Um, I think we're supposed to do more than read the Bible. Does that make sense? We're supposed to interact with it. We're supposed to eat it. When you eat something, it, it kind of gets inside of you and changes who you are. It metabolizes. It becomes a part of you. You are what you eat. And as, as Christians, that's what happens when we engage with Scripture. We kind of soak in it. We, we marinate in it. We, we meditate on it. And it changes us. It slowly forms us and shapes us into the person that God has desired for us to be. Um, this is why Christians regularly find it useful to memorize Scriptures. We don't just read. We, we read and then we ask questions. We read and then we let a text read us. We say, well, how does that critique me? How does that challenge me? How does that convict me? Part of our, our regular interaction with the scriptures just reminds us simply of who God is and, and what's going on in the world. Um, if you're like me, you're very easily distracted. And there's this sense that um, a regular reminder of who he is and, and what he has called for you and, and who you are in him um, is helpful and is needed. And we, we find this, we are provided for this with our time um, in the scriptures. Now, uh, again, just knowing what I know about our kind of Christian culture, our kind of Christian subculture, knowing what I know about my own walk with Christ, um, I know that sometimes reading the Bible can be very hard. Um, it can be the struggle. It can be this difficult thing to do for lots of reasons. Um, it's confusing. I don't understand it very well. I don't like to read. I mean, there can be all kinds of obstacles up against you. Um, I, I, I get it. Um, but I can't get past this conviction that, that uh, Christians are called to this regular interaction and engagement with the scriptures. Um, I would want to suggest that maybe one of the reasons we have a hard time being in the scriptures regularly, if that's you, again, I think if we were honest, all of us would probably raise our hands a little bit, um, is that there's this, there's this spiritual warfare aspect to it. So let me clue you in on a little fact about Mike Skinner. Mike Skinner can binge watch like six seasons of a TV show on Netflix with the laser-like focus that would astound scientists. I mean, doctors would be like, how in the world can this person block out all these responsibilities and tasks to get accomplished and relationships and just zero in on, on Sherlock and his buddy and the crimes that need to be solved? And then Mike Skinner can sit down and open up the Bible and in 10 minutes be like, man, I've, I've got so much to do and I've got people I need to talk to and I've got so many things to accomplish. And I, man, I don't think that that's just like a coincidence that happens to us. Um, I think there's this aspect where, where you and I are being deterred from reading the scriptures, from interacting with them, from engaging with them because there's someone, something out there, right, that doesn't want you to hear from God, that doesn't want you to, to be prepared and be confident for these good works um, that God has for you in advance. Um, my advice uh, for those who 
um, find it hard to get in the scriptures or, or who wonder where would I even start with the scriptures, um, I think it's, it's, you have to have a game plan. Um, so what happens to some of us is we open up to Leviticus, uh, and, and yeah, it's just not good. It doesn't go well for us. Uh, I mean, there are, there are big, long chunks in here, right, that are going to not seem very helpful to you. Um, and that, that probably uh, you'll need to ease your way into. And there are, are better, I think, entry ramps into the scriptures. My suggestion would be, um, over the years, what I've said is just start with Matthew. Start with the gospel. Start with Matthew. Read through it. And as you read, continually ask yourself three questions. Who is Jesus? What does he come to do? And what does it look like to follow him? What does it look like to be one of his disciples? And in fact, I mean, really, those are the two questions that kind of drive our, our reading of the scriptures everywhere. Um, in any text, in any story, what is this saying about God? What is this saying? What is he revealing about himself? And then what's he, he calling his people to do? What is this saying about the life that I'm supposed to live? Um, and then I think the, the big step from just reading to eating, okay, from, from reading to interacting and engaging with the scriptures is learning how to apply it to your life. So let me give you an illustration example. You have a passage in 1 Corinthians 13 about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. You've been to a wedding, you've heard it, you're familiar with it. You could sit down and read that passage, meditate five or ten minutes, <clears throat> come away thinking, wow, love is a good thing. I really need to love more. I love myself a lot. I should love other people too. And it could be argued that, that maybe you just wasted ten minutes of your life. You could have probably agreed that love was a good thing ten minutes ago. You didn't need to read 1 Corinthians 13. Right to, to probably convince you that you should be more loving to people. Um, but here's where you could take a step and, and you could find the scriptures um, interacting and kind of getting inside of you and changing your life. What if you, you started asking really specific questions about your very specific life, about your very specific days and relationships and actions? So instead of just going, love is this good thing, going, um, start asking yourself these questions, going through, diagnose yourself, challenge yourself, look through your day and go, who do I need to love more? How can I love them more? At 12.30 today, I'm going to sit across the table from that girl, and I've been planning on this insult, right, for three months. And maybe, maybe instead I'll say this. And when you start asking those kind of questions and doing that kind of thinking, what you'll find is that all of a sudden reading 1 Corinthians 13 in the morning made you into a little bit more Jesus-like at lunch. And you continue, and you continue, and you continue. And this is why you never, like, stop. You never just learn it and check it off the list. You just continue in what you know. It's not just a matter of, of, of learning facts. Because then you could, theoretically, just memorize what you need to know and push it aside. And sometimes I think that's how we've treated the Bible. If, if the Bible's only point, if Christianity's only point is for you to know that God loves you and you're going to heaven after you die, why do I need to read it? I got it. I can repeat it back to you. I can say it in big Latin. I really can't, but but instead, if I'm called to this this relationship, this vibrant pursuing of Christ's kingdom and His will, um, then then I need to continue to be in it and then continue to let it analyze and engage my life. Um, parents, I, I think uh, your um, one of your responsibilities is to to lead your kids in this, is to train your children in this. Um, it's interesting, if you see what's said to Timothy here, he said he's been acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood. Um, now, I haven't been acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood. That, I mean, that is not something that, that, that describes my life. I don't think it describes most people's childhoods. Um, um, as, as Christians, though, you're called in your own family, we've got a lot of young families, to turn that tide. 
and to come up with some sort of game plan, okay? I've never done it. I have no kids. I've never led a family devotional. I've never tried to get my kids and, and acquainted with the scriptures and get them to really know it, okay? I can lead you to some people who have, and I can lead you to some people who have made some mistakes and who have learned some lessons and those kind of things, but, but you need to do it. You need to be intentional about it. The same way that you need to, I think, be intentional about the scripture in your own life, you need to be intentional about the scriptures in your, your children's lives, in your family's life. Um, accountability can help, but we're called to, to eat this book. Scripture is this valuable tool, this, this sweeter than honey, more valuable than gold, um, that's been given to us, and we're to be in it regularly. That's how it does it, it's, its work in our lives, when we're in it regularly, when we're engaging with it, when we're eating it, when it's shaping who we are uh, at kind of the core of our being. Now, um, the last thing I would want to say this morning, we, we need to recognize Scripture's value these words that have been given to us in the waters, this rough sea of life, we need to be in it consistently. We need to feed on these phrases. And then two, we need to read the Bible carefully. Um, not only do we need to read the Bible continually, interact with it regularly, but we need to interact with it very, very carefully. If you have your Bibles, again, go to John 5, um, verse 39. Very important verse. John 5, 39. You've got to handle the scriptures carefully because there's a way that you can read the Bible wrong. And there are, some, there are some conclusions you can come to by reading the Bible that should make you go, you're doing it wrong. You've, you've missed a step somewhere. If you look at Jesus, he's talking, he's defending himself to the Pharisees in verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Notice here, there's a way that you can read the Bible that still has you missing out on life. There's a way to read the Bible where you miss Christ completely. He's talking to people who are very well versed in the scriptures, much more than, than you are or than I am. And he's saying, look, you know these things inside and out, and you've still completely missed the point. We've got to read the scriptures carefully, because if we're not careful, a couple different things can happen. One of the dangers is that um, reading the Bible has sometimes led people to the wrong side of history, into to darkness and not into light. And as Christians, we need to be aware of this. Um, I think, honestly, every Christian should be forced to read what pro-slavery American pastors said not too long ago. How they made their careful arguments from the Bible about why we should have slaves and why we're commanded to have slaves and why we should keep slavery and why, if you're against slavery, you are going against the will of the Lord. This sounds very odd to us. It sounds like no one could believe this. Um, but a hundred years ago, this is, would have been the common belief, uh, particularly in our kind of southern area of the United States. Um, it's astonishing how sometimes, historically, Christians have read the Bible and gotten it way off. Right? If, if your conclusion from reading the Bible is that you should own other people, you're doing it wrong. You've, you've taken a wrong turn somewhere, right? Um, Germany, the Nazi regime, supported by the German church because of biblical arguments from Romans chapter 13. They didn't read it carefully, and so they weren't able to stand up and say, no, we don't have to obey you in this circumstance. We don't have to, to follow you here. We don't have to support you here. Um, if you remember the genocide in Rwanda, the most Christian nation in Africa at the time, Christians killing Christians. They're not reading it carefully. Um, they're reading it, but they're coming to the wrong conclusions here. Um, you've got to read the scriptures 
very carefully. I've got a poster in my classroom that's this Nazi um, propaganda sign with a Bible um, with a circle around it and an X through it. Um, because I realize, right, a little bit of the Bible is okay, but too much of the Bible will, will lead the people into thinking we can't support this, this regime. Um, we, we can't support this. Um, so we've got to be careful. And, and I think we just have to be honest and acknowledge that, that the Bible is a very flexible document. As someone, so my job is to read the Bible. This is what I went to school for. It's what I do all the time. It's the only thing I've done for the past like six years. That and Netflix. And, <laughs> and I'm very good at Netflix as well. And what I can tell you is this is a very, very, very flexible book. Which means you can make it say almost anything you want it to say. So the rapture, the people who predict the rapture, like give you the date and the time. A couple years ago there was a big guy doing it. Um, they're idiots, yes, but there's logic to what they say, right? I mean, they're not making things up. There are numbers they're finding and adding together, right? I mean, if, if you really were creative enough, you could come up with some code or find some words or verse in here to support just about anything. What Jesus is saying here, though, is, is reading the scripture should take you to Christ. And if it doesn't take you to Jesus, again, you've done it wrong. You've gone off somewhere. Um, the scriptures, if, if not read carefully, can lead into darkness and not light. Sometimes they can and lead to idolatry. I think as Christians, sometimes um, we have the tendency to worship the Bible. Um, we've got to realize our faith is not in the book. And we don't worship a book or a text. We worship a person, a God. We obey Jesus. The Bible is the word of God in as much as it points us to the actual word of God. Does that make sense? There are two words of God. There's a capital W and a lowercase w. This is meant to lead us to Christ. You can actually idolize, um, worship the scriptures. I think this is something that I've seen before. It's called biblio-idolatry. Um, so anytime people use the Bible to hurt other people, you see someone who is idolizing the Bible. Anytime you see someone who's using the Bible to feel better about themselves as opposed to someone else, to feel proud, self-righteous, you're seeing someone who has idolized the Bible. Anytime you see the Bible used as a weapon to use in an argument or to beat someone down with, instead of as a tool to form Christ's life inside of themselves, you're seeing someone who's, who's gone off track here with the scriptures. Now, there are some ways, I think, that, that we can avoid these dangers. One of them, I think, is to um, read in community. Careful reading of the Bible means reading it with other people. And this is what you're doing when you're reading a devotional or a commentary, which, by the way, I think is another good way to get into the scriptures. If you struggle with that, to get some kind of daily devotional that has a passage picked out for you and some thoughts to kind of spur your thinking along. Um, there are good ones and there are bad ones out there, so you have to choose carefully. But what you're doing with that is you're relying on someone else, right? You're, you're in conversation with somebody else, even in, in print. I think Christians are supposed to read the Bible together. That would prevent us, I think, from coming to some of these mistakes. Um, if white Christians had read the Bible with black Christians, we might have uh, done better on the slavery issue. Um, if American Christians read the Bible with Iraqi Christians... Right? I mean, we all have different perspectives that we bring to the text. Men read it with women. Children read it with adults. Wealthy people read it with poor people. And in community, we come to um, God's revelation through Christ. And then, again, we remember that Christ has to be at the center. Okay, This is the guide. If the scriptures, if your interpretation of them leads you to Jesus, you can bet that it's a good one. But if it leads you away from Jesus, again, I think you've gone off track somewhere. Um, 
And you find this bittersweet relationship with the scriptures. I mean, you see it in the song. It's honey on my lips and then a bitter twist in my side. Um, I think anyone who's engaged with the scriptures and tried to do this regularly and read them carefully has found this to be true in their own life. There's a sense where when we receive God's revelation, it can be painful and bittersweet um, all at the same time. It's honey on our lips. It's this beautiful, desirable thing and something that kind of strikes us to the core. Um, when, we, when we see God, when we, we have it revealed to us who he is and all of his glory and all of his beauty and all of his love for us, when we see that the purpose laid out for our lives and the high calling which, which we've been given, one of the things that it does and frankly should do in us is convict us. And we read the scriptures knowing that one, we're guilty, and then two, we're weak. We've, we've broken these commands that were meant to lead us to life. We've dishonored this God who's so glorious. And then we're weak. We, on our own willpower, have a hard time living up to this. The scriptures, though, um, again, would lead us to Christ and say, in Christ, as long as you keep Christ at the center here, you find your solution. Last place to turn with me, go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, we'll pick it up in verse 10. Page 973, the black hardbacks. Galatians 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The law is not of faith. Um, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the law, or Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And look at this in verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. If you remember from last week, Michelle's sermon on the promise to Abraham, you will bless the entire world. Um, Paul's saying this is how it happened. This is how Abraham blessed the entire world. Through his family, the Christ came, and he bore our curse on the tree. Um, we read the scriptures and we realize that one, we're guilty, and two, we're weak. But when we read the scriptures with Christ in view... We're reminded and told that one, we're forgiven, and two, we've been given the Spirit. And that it's possible to follow. It's possible to, to live. It's possible to find this life that, that God's laid out for us. It's dangerous to read the Bible without Christ's forgiveness there. It can lead you into this kind of self-pity, loathsome victim mentality where you almost kind of like the reformer Martin Luther end up hating God even more. Just rubbing in my face. It's dangerous, but if you keep Christ this way, you remember that you're forgiven. And it's dangerous to try to live out the Bible on your own willpower. Just go, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. Um, but you keep Christ at the center, and you realize that it's the spirit that's been given to you. Um, which is why another piece of advice I would give is, is when reading the scriptures, um, start and end always by asking the Spirit to speak to you through the Scriptures. Um, I think this is, again, one of these ways we eat the book, we engage with the book. It's not our wisdom that gets this. Um, the same way that the Spirit inspired these texts to be written and kept for us, um, it's, it's the same Spirit who speaks to us. We'll talk about this. Um, on July 13th, we're starting a series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I think in some ways what Christians have done is we've taken the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we've taken the Spirit kind of out and put the Bible in its place. 
Uh, and so a lot of the language the Bible uses about the Holy Spirit, we use about the Bible. Um, so you listen to the Bible, you obey the Bible, you follow the Bible, those kind of things. Um, in, in the scriptures, it's the Spirit guiding you. And yes, one of the primary ways the Spirit does that is through the Bible. Um, but you can't confuse God and a tool. Right? That's, that's where we get into idolatry. That's where we get into confusion. Um, so we read the Bible knowing it's the path to life. It's God's revelation to us. We read the Bible regularly, consistently interacting and engaging with it. And then we read it carefully in community with Christ at the center. I'll end by um, giving a, a story illustration. A, a couple months ago, um, in February, I was not feeling great, and so I went to the doctor. I was real tired all the time. Uh, I uh, <coughs> couldn't sleep very well. It's kind of irritable. Uh, I went to the doctor. I was like, hey, I don't feel very good. He said, let's run some tests. So he ran some blood work. Um, I said, you can run all the tests you want. I've got WebMD. So I went home, did my own research, okay? <laughs> He called, so the, the, the results are back, but I'm going to need you to come in to discuss this. I thought, oh, that's not good. It's never a good sign. Um, that's, they never bring you in to be like, you're the definition of a healthy human being. Um, and so I came back in. Now, I had my list of diagnoses. In my mind, it was more of a consult. Uh, I was going to kind of compare notes with him, okay? I've got lupus. Uh, I see rickets here. Um, and he goes, what, what's going on here is you have a deficiency. And he's like, all this is going to be explained really easy. You, you have, he said, you have no vitamin D. I said, oh, so I have low vitamin D. He said, no, no, you have no vitamin D. <laughs> he said, most people have low vitamin D. He said, I don't know how you're alive. He said, I, I can't understand how your body can get rid of all the, he's like, by living, by, by being, having air touch your skin, you're making vitamin D, but you have no vitamin D. He's like, you can fix this. There's a supplement. You, I mean, we'll overdose your body with vitamin D. And I was taking, like, massive amounts of vitamin D. And all of a sudden, I was sleeping better. And I was feeling better. I had more energy. And it was amazing how, um, as, as human beings, we have this body, right, and these things get kind of off. And we've got to diagnose. And we've got to supplement. And we've got to kind of get back on track. And, and my challenge this morning is, is for us to kind of do a spiritual diagnosis. It's for you to take some serious time today and go, um, what is my relationship with the scriptures? How, what do I think about them? How am I using them? How often um, am I benefiting from them? Where am I weak? How can I get help? How can I supplement my relationship with the Lord through the scriptures? Um, because I think that's something that, that we're called to do as Christians. Um, diagnose, make a game plan, be intentional. Here's what I can tell you. Um, I don't know everything. I do know that you won't accidentally become good at reading the Bible. Will you agree with me on that? Mm -hmm. This is something you want, right? If you read Psalms uh, 19 and it says it's more valuable than gold and than honey, there's something you've got a game plan for. There's something you've got to get a team together for. There's something you have to be intentional for. Um, Christ has graciously revealed himself through his word. Um, and, and one of our joys in, in response to him is to dig into it um, and receive his revelation and be equipped for the life that he has for us, for the good works and the things for us. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we come and we give you thanks for all the blessings that you have given us. We give you thanks for the text um, you've bestowed upon us. We, we ask that you would uh, open up our eyes to the value of the scriptures, um, that we would see them um, for um, what they are. We, we pray that you would give us the ability to to be in them regularly, to eat them, to engage with them, that, that we might be shaped by your word through the scriptures. And Father, I pray that you would help us as a community and as individuals and as families 
read the scriptures carefully, um, that our reading of the scriptures would lead us to you and would lead us to, to living and acting and, and looking and talking more like you, Father, that um, we would be able to further your kingdom um, as we worship you and enjoy you. Um, Father, I pray uh, as we come to the table that you'd be with us and that your spirit would um, fill us up again, that we might know you and be known by you. And it's in your son's precious name that we pray all these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.